Well, good morning. What a joy to be back with you this morning at Taylor's First Baptist Church, and what a joy that we've had to be able to be together and to sing praises like that. Not today, 2020. It's exciting to be able to sing praises, even in the midst of a time of turmoil, a time of confusion, a time of frustration. We're reminded whenever we're together who's on the throne and that He is sovereign, that He's in control, and that He does all things well. And we continue to trust Him. Let me invite you to take a copy of God's Word and to turn or to scroll to John chapter 3. To John chapter 3. We're going to look this morning at what is likely the best known verse in all of Scripture, John chapter 3, verse 16. Though for the sake of setting things up, we'll read together John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. And if you have turned there or if you found your way there, let me invite you, if you're physically able, let's stand in honor of God and His Word. John 3, 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have already had this morning to worship you in song and to worship you in prayer, and now for the opportunity to worship you by hearing and responding to your word. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray this morning that the same Holy Spirit who inspired these scriptures would help us to rightly understand them and to apply them to our lives for our good, for your glory, and for the health of this church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Is anyone here a college football fan? 2020 can take many things away, but it didn't take college football away. I'm a college football fan, and I'm a... Georgia Bulldogs fan. And because I'm a Georgia Bulldogs fan, it pains me to begin this message with this illustration, but truthfulness compels me to do so. In January of 2009, Tim Tebow was all the rage. (laughs) Tebow had won the Heisman Trophy his sophomore year, and now in January of 2009, he'd almost won a second Heisman. 
He had led that team that shall not be named in Gainesville, Florida, into the national championship game against the Oklahoma Sooners. Now, if you know anything about Tim Tebow, you know that he is an outspoken Christian and that one of the things he did during his college career and his too short NFL career was to take the eye black under his eyes and in white letters to write scripture verses in that eye black. He was known for that. And during this national championship game in 2009, in his eye black, he had written John 3.16. Now the Gators won 24-14, to 14, proof that we live in a fallen world. <laughs> but there was grace that day. According to our friends at Google, 94 million people Googled John 3.16 during the game and in the 24 hours after the game. To put that in perspective, because of a college football player, almost 100 million people read the most famous verse in the Bible. And for many of them, it may have been their first exposure to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, chances are you would not have had to have Googled John 3.16 that night. If you're like me and you've grown up in the church, or even if you've been a part of the body of Christ for very long, you know John 3.16 well. It's one of the first verses that we memorize as followers of Jesus Christ. The great 20th century preacher Herschel Hobbes once said this about John 3.16. Who can enlarge upon this gospel in a verse? It is called everybody's text, as indeed it is. If the remainder of the Bible were lost and only this verse preserved, it contains enough gospel to save the whole human race. And yet, probably fewer sermons are preached from this text than from any other of the more familiar ones. The reason being that when you quote it, you have said it all. Explain it one may, but enlarge upon it one cannot. It is the gospel in superlatives. I agree with Dr. Hobbes that this is the best one verse explanation of the gospel in all of Scripture. But I don't agree with him that you can't preach on it. And so I'm going to preach on it today. I've titled this sermon, The Gospel in One Verse. On the one hand, this one verse contains truths that are so simple, an elementary school child can understand them and tell her friends about it. On the other hand, John 3.16 contains truths that are so profound, it's like the Mount Everest of the Christian life. And what I want us to do for the next few minutes is to consider three elementary yet also magisterial truths that we see in this most famous verse in all of Scripture. They all come directly from the verse. And the first one is this, God loves His world. See, that's easy. God loves His world. John 3.16 begins, For God so loved the world. And that for 
at the beginning of John 3.16 reminds us that this verse follows everything that comes before it in John chapter 3. Now, we're not going to take time this morning to read over those first 15 verses of John chapter 3, but if we did, it would be a story that's familiar to many of you. There's a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus under cover of night, and what he wants to know is, are you the real deal, Jesus? Are you who people are saying that you are? And Jesus tells him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And he tells him, whoever believes in me has eternal life. And when we come to John 3.16, what we find is, Jesus taking that argument a step further and offering a few more insights on what it means to be born again and what it means to receive eternal life. And Jesus begins John 3.16 with a reference to God because this is a verse about the gospel and God is the one whom the gospel is all about. God is the one who takes the initiative in our salvation. It's God's kingdom that Jesus came to proclaim. In fact, John 3.16 is one of the most God-centered verses in all of Scripture. It's all about God and where we find ourselves and what God is doing. The gospel is good news because this God... This God of all creation becomes God our Heavenly Father. This God who is the Lord of the entire universe becomes the Lord of my life and the Lord of your life whenever we believe. The greatest gift of the gospel is God Himself. And unlike every other gift under the sun, when it comes to the gospel, the gift is also the giver. And that's God. But Jesus not only talks about God, he talks about God's love. For God so loved the world. God's love is a major theme in Scripture. It's a major theme in John's gospel. Some of you probably have memorized 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. Another one of the most familiar verses in all of Scripture, God is love. Words we know well, but let that sink in for just a minute. God is love. It's who God is. His character is love. God acts lovingly towards us because He acts in a way consistent with His character, just like each of us do. But the difference is His character is love. And so God is love. A.W. Tozer once wrote this about God's love. I can no more do justice to this awesome and wonder-filled topic than a child can grasp a star. Still, by reaching toward the star, the child may call attention to it and even indicate the direction one must look to see it. And so I stretch my heart toward the high, shining love of God so that we may be encouraged to look up 
and have hope. It's about God. It's about God's love. But John 3.16 also tells us that God so loved. Now the focus here, contrary to what I was taught at one time and what you might have been taught, the focus here isn't so much the amount that God loves us. Though to be clear, God's love is infinite. But that's not really what Jesus is saying here. This isn't about the amount, the amount that God loves us. It's about the way he loves us, the manner in which he loves us. It could have been translated for God loves in such a way or God loves in this way. But we'll say more about that in just a minute. Friends, I want you to listen closely this morning because we're used to hearing that God is love and saying God is love, but we don't always make clear what we mean by that. God loves every type of person in the world. God loves every single person in the world. God loves you. God loves them. God loves everyone. There is no one anywhere in all of creation who is unloved by God. And brothers and sisters, this is good news. This is good news. Some of you are here this morning, or maybe you're watching online and you feel unloved. Some of you may feel unloved by a spouse. Some of you may feel unloved by your children. Some of you may feel unloved by extended family. Some of you may feel unloved by people who say they are your friends or who are your closest co-workers. If that's you this morning, rest assured that the Lord of all creation loves you more than you can even imagine. He loves you infinitely. He loves you perfectly. Unlike even the people around you who do love you, He always wants what's best for you. God is the only one who will always perfectly love you, no matter what else is happening in your life. And that leads us this morning to the second great truth, isn't that better, that we see in this passage. God showed his love for his world by sending his son. God showed his world for his, God showed his love for his world by sending his son. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The that in this phrase is related to the so that we talked about in the previous phrase. God loves in such a way. God loves in a particular way, and he demonstrates that particular sort of love by giving his son. Now, like maybe many of you, especially those of you who are middle-aged and older, 
I memorized John 3.16 using the King James Version. Who memorized John 3.16 in the King James Version? I memorized John 3.16 in the King James Version, and so that's still my heart version when it comes to this verse in particular. And I love the way that the King James refers to Jesus as the only begotten Son. But whether your Bible says only begotten Son or only Son or only unique Son, they all mean the same thing. Jesus is special. He is the eternal Son of the eternal Father. And there has never been a time when the Son did not exist. And yet we find that the eternal God sent His Son, His only Son, to this earth to take upon himself human flesh, to become all that it means to be human so that he could genuinely, meaningfully, completely, savingly relate to humans, to you and to me and to all those who are like us. Jesus of Nazareth was fully God. Everything that is true of God was true of him. And Jesus of Nazareth is fully man. Everything that is true of humanity is true of Jesus. And friends, this is a mystery. It's a mystery. We can't quite wrap our minds around this. And yet Scripture teaches that it's true. And so we believe it is one of the greatest truths in the universe. And this God-man Jesus lived the perfectly sinless life that we are commanded to live but never do. And he died the horrific sinner's death that we deserve to die but don't have to. And he was raised into the eternal life of flourishing that is intended for every one of us and that we can have by grace through faith. God's only Son is our only Savior. And God sent His Son to be our Savior because He loves us. Because God loves us. We see this theme echoed in many other passages in Scripture. I'll give you just the most familiar. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I want you to listen closely. There are many biblical reasons that Jesus Christ came into the world, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, and was raised from the dead. There are many biblical reasons for this. Yes, the Father has an eternal plan of salvation that centers on the Son. That's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Yes, each of us deserves God's wrath because of our sin, and Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin. That's true. Yes, there are dozens of Old Testament prophecies that point to the need for a Messiah. That's 100% correct. But at the end of the day, John 3.16 reminds us that at the center of all of this, God gave His Son Because he loves us. He gave his son 
because he loves the world. John 3.17 further makes this point. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, the world deserves condemnation because of its rebellion against God and his rule. But Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He did not come to execute the condemnation that we deserve, but to offer the undeserved hope that he gives us because he loves us. He did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. This is what grace looks like. The eternal son of God becoming a man that we might be saved. That's what grace looks like. And we need to be clear here that it's not just that God the Father loves the world. There's no disagreement in the life of the Holy Trinity when it comes to this. Yes, God loves us and he sent his son. That's the mission of John 3, 16. But scripture also teaches us that the son loves us so much, he willingly died for us. For example, John chapter 15, verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The Holy Spirit also loves us. The Holy Spirit loves us so much, he empowered Jesus in this saving ministry on our behalf. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, and the first public sermon that we ever know that he preached. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God loves us. God loves you more than you can even imagine. So much so that he gave you the greatest gift in all of creation, his precious, unique, special, only begotten son who lived and died and was raised for you and for me. This is good news. And so how is it that we are commanded to respond to this good news, this best news that we're ever going to hear? That leads us to the third truth that we see in the text this morning. God saves anyone and everyone who believes in his son. God saves anyone and everyone who believes in his son. The entirety of John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, memorized it in the King James. So I love how the King James uses the word whosoever. It's not a word we hear very much, is it? But we know what it means, whosoever. It means anybody and everybody. 
The gospel is good news for all people. Anyone who believes in Jesus can be saved. Whosoever means you. Whosoever means me. Whosoever means the most vicious wife beater. Whosoever means the most dishonest politician. Whosoever means the most violent Muslim terrorist. Whosoever means the most hateful white supremacist. Whosoever means the most vicious cop killer. Whosoever means the most persnickety, annoying legalist. Whosoever means the most hard-hearted, rebellious teenager. Whosoever means your labor, your next-door neighbor who you love so much, but who doesn't yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Whosoever means the woman in Southeast Asia who's never even heard the name of Jesus. Whosoever means every single person in every single situation, in every single place, full stop. Every person on this planet falls in one of either two categories. They're either right now under condemnation and on their way to an eternity of being separated from God relationally and suffering unimaginably because of their sin, or by grace they are forgiven and on their way to an eternity of being God's spiritually adopted child and receiving every blessing that he intends for his children for all of eternity. Everybody. There are only two ways to live, the way of life and the way of death. And again, Scripture makes this clear. In John chapter 3, verse 18, we read it a few minutes ago, "...whoever believes in him is not condemned." But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Or if we were to look a little bit further in John chapter 3, verse 36 of the chapter says basically the same thing. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Or listen to what John chapter 5 verse 24 says. Just a couple of pages later or a couple of scrolls down on your device. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Friends, everyone in this room and everyone who's watching online right now is either under judgment and condemnation or has received eternal life. There is no all of the above. There is no in-between. There is no on the way. There is no murky middle. There are only two ways to live. And that is true of everybody, everywhere, including here. I want to take a moment and say something about eternal life. It's one of those phrases we talk about all the time, but I wonder if sometimes we really know what we're saying 
John 3.16 talks about eternal or everlasting life, and this is a topic that the Apostle John loves. He mentions eternal life 18 times in his gospel and another eight times in the letter of 1 John. And there are at least three wonderful ideas packed into this concept of eternal life. First, and, and bear with me, because this is obvious, but we need to say it, eternal life is eternal. It lasts forever, for all eternity. There's no expiration date on eternal life. Eternal life is forever living. I got a PhD in theology so that I could say that. Eternal life is forever. But number two, maybe not quite as obvious, eternal life doesn't begin when we die and pass into eternity, but eternal life begins the moment that we become a follower of Jesus Christ. Eternal life begins when we're saved. Just a moment ago, we read together uh, John 5, 24. It speaks of eternal life in the present tense. Whoever has eternal life right now has it. John 6, 47 says the same thing. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. You have eternal life right now if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And yes, you will keep it when you pass into eternity, but eternity has already begun for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, if it's really eternal life, then that means you can't lose it once you have it. You can't lose it once you have it. Now, I know, and many of you know, that there are sincere, godly, devout Christians, many of whom love Jesus no doubt more than I do, who believe that true believers can forfeit their salvation and fall from grace. Maybe some of you believe that. But I want you to listen carefully. While I respect the opinion of brothers and sisters in Christ who believe that, it is not what Scripture teaches. The Bible does not teach that you can lose your salvation. Eternal life doesn't ever end, even on this side of heaven. You cannot become unborn again. True believers don't stop believing. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? Don't stop believing. John chapter 10, verse 28 is one of the clearest statements in all of the Bible on this. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Brothers and sisters, if you have eternal life, you will keep eternal life. It cannot be lost. It cannot be forfeited. And to be clear, this is not because your faith is awesome or my faith is awesome. I'm going to be honest with you. There are days I don't feel like believing. There are days I don't feel like believing. We're kept in God's hands, not because our faith is so awesome, but because God is good to keep his promises. Because God is powerful to keep his promises. Because he holds us close, even whenever we are tempted 
to not hold him close. Unlike some earthly fathers, bad earthly fathers, our heavenly father never disowns his children. If you belong to God, you will always belong to God. If you have eternal life, you will always have eternal life. If you are saved, you will keep being saved, and one day you will be completely saved because of God's grace. John 3.16 really does give us the gospel in one verse. A few years ago, I came across an old gospel tract, gospel booklet, used in personal evangelism. And I like what it says about John 3.16. I think it's going to be up on the screen because it sounds funny to say it if you can't read it as well. There we go. This is what it says. God, the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree, the world, the greatest company, that he gave the greatest act, his only begotten son, the greatest gift, that whosoever the greatest opportunity believeth the greatest simplicity. In him, the greatest attraction, should not perish the greatest promise, but the greatest difference, have the greatest certainty, everlasting life, the greatest possession. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? This is the gospel in one verse. So as we conclude our time together, in the next couple of minutes, I want us to think about how we take this most familiar, known-to-us passage in the Bible and consider anew what it means for our lives. Now, some of you are here, and you're a believer, and you know that you're forgiven, and you're trying to love the Lord the best you can, but sometimes you're not sure that God really loves you. Sometimes you're not sure that God really loves you. Maybe you continue to feel guilty because of sins that you committed in the past. Or maybe you feel crushed under the burden of some present sin that you're struggling with. Maybe you're just wired in such a way that you have trouble receiving love from other people and sometimes you translate that to God and you have trouble receiving love from God. I want you to listen closely. If that's you, there is nothing you could ever do to make God stop loving you. There's nothing you could do to make God stop loving you. He already loves you so much. He gave you the greatest gift in all the universe, His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, God would have sent Jesus to this world if you were the only sinner on the planet. That's the sort of love that He has for you personally today. So if you're the sort of person who struggles with accepting and receiving God's love, let me urge you to do a quick exercise later today. When you're by yourself, just for a couple of minutes later today, I want you to personalize John 3.16. And I want you to say to yourself, for God so loved Nathan that he sent his only begotten son. Because God so loved Meredith. Because God so loved Jose. 
Because God so loved Shaniqua. Because God so loved Abdul. Because God so loved whatever your name is. Personalize John 3.16 today. Receive that promise from Scripture. Others of you this morning are Christians. Love the Lord, trying to follow Him as best you can. But you know that one of those areas where you are dropping the ball is in telling other people the good news of Jesus Christ. There are probably many reasons that you don't do this. In my own life, I find no end of excuses to not be as consistent with sharing the gospel as I could be. But we know deep down that John 3.16 is too good a news to keep to ourselves, right? And so we need to be reminded today that this is not a message to sit on, but it's a message to share. Remember that whosoever means everybody everywhere, and that includes your children. It includes your grandchildren. It includes your spouse. It includes your parents. It includes your coworkers. It includes your classmates. It includes your neighbors. It includes those who serve you in restaurants or check you out of the line at Kroger or who endure the DMV next to you. Whosoever means everybody. And so let's be faithful by God's grace to open our eyes and see who those whosoevers are around us and to be faithful to share the gospel with them, trusting that it's not on us. We don't have to convince them. We don't have to have a slam dunk argument. We don't have to be able to answer every question that they have. We don't have to give the most polished explanation of the gospel ever. We just need to share the good news. And the Lord will be faithful to do what the Lord has always done, to work through the sharing of the gospel to bring men and women to faith in Jesus Christ. Finally, in an audience this size, chances are there are some of you in this room and certainly perhaps some who are watching online who have never yet received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Friend, I have good news for you. The only thing you need to do today is the most important thing you could ever do, and that is believe this verse is true for you. And by believing this verse is true for you, believing on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He lived and died and was raised again so that you might be saved. He promises that whosoever, and that means you who believes in him, will receive eternal life. Friend, you don't want to leave this place today or turn off your computer without having trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to conclude our time together by praying, and I'm going to invite those of you who have never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior to pray in your heart what I pray out loud. Let's pray together right now. Lord, I've heard this message today and I know that it's for me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need a savior. I know, Lord, that I can't figure this thing out for myself, that I don't have all the answers, 
and that my only hope is you. And so, Lord, I give myself to you today. And I pray that you would forgive my sins. I pray, Lord, that you would bring me into your family. I pray that you would give me eternal life starting now that'll last forever. And I pray that you'll make me into the person you want me to be. Lord, I know I can't do this myself, but help me to love you and follow you day by day. Lord, save me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you're here this morning and that's the first time that you've ever prayed a prayer like that, in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing together and we're going to give you the opportunity to respond. The pastors of this church will be down front. I'll be right down there on the front row if you want to talk to me. But if you prayed that prayer for the first time, come and tell somebody about it. Or maybe you're here and you're still not sure what it means to be a Christian. These pastors or I, we would love to talk to you more about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Come down front and talk to us. Let us pray with you. Maybe you're visiting here and and the Lord has laid it on your heart that Taylor's First Baptist needs to be your church home. These guys would love to talk to you about what it means to join this church. Come and talk to them. And maybe it is that the Lord's laid something else on your heart and you just need to pray. You can do that where you are in in the quiet of your pew or if you'd feel more comfortable, you can come down front, you can pray at these steps, whatever you want to do. But Everybody who's here, whatever the Lord is saying to you in your heart right now, won't you be obedient to respond to that as we stand and as we sing together?